District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another installment of District of Conservation. I'm joined by my new friend, Mallory, from Montana. And we linked up a few months ago when I was there doing some reporting about bear conservation. And we've been social media connected for a while. We stay in touch. And I figured it'd be really cool to bring someone who has a unique background across media, digital media, and who loves doing hunting, especially in the Mountain West, to come on the podcast. And she listens to the show. So, Mallory, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the chance to talk about all these things that I love. Exactly. How did you get roped into hunting? Because you're also from California, and I think people think those of us from California don't really have an interest in this or don't really care for it or maybe we're opposed to it. How did you go from you know living in California to getting to Montana? And you also have a unique background having been a former local reporter, too. So how does that all blend in well with your interest in the outdoors and conservation? Yeah, it is quite a wild story. Um, really, I attribute all of my outdoor hunting experience to my husband, who I met in southern Minnesota on my first TV job. I just moved straight from California to southern Minnesota, had never been to Minnesota in my life. So that was just a complete shock for a California girl. Um, <laughs> uh, didn't know it could ever possibly be that cold that it hurt to breathe. And then the fact that they have tornadoes, I was just blown away. I was like, wait, we're next Canada. You guys have tornadoes. This is crazy. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into hunting with my husband. And it's really funny because it um, is a passion that now I've pursued through the many states where we have lived. We've also lived in Alaska before we came to Montana. And we've hunted in all of these states. Also, we had a hunting honeymoon in Hawaii, um, <laughs> which was really fun hunting in Hawaii. Um, but it's cool too, because I didn't know much about hunting until I met my husband. He introduced me to all of it, but I did know like a tiny bit that my dad hunted, but we never really talked about it because he didn't really hunt um, when I was growing up. But then once I started getting into hunting, he was telling me his stories hunting and actually his grandpa used to drag him around hunting all the time when he was younger and he actually kind of hated it <laughs> because they were like the straight up outdoorsy sleep under the stars with a sleeping bag kind of hunting, like didn't even have a tent and it was pretty rough. And, um, but it was just really fun for him to share those memories with me. So it's kind of this funny thing where I never knew I had it in me, but I guess I kind of did. And actually the antelope that I shot just this weekend um, was with my grandpa's gun. So um, a ton of the guns, when we got married, my dad handed down to me. So it's like it's a generational thing that I didn't even know that uh, I had in me. <laughs> That's so sweet. I feel like a lot of people have that story, especially women, or maybe their mothers are starting to teach them. I know in fishing, now women are becoming more commonly the teachers in these activities. But hunting will be interesting to see. But typically, it's usually your father or your spouse or boyfriend or someone like that who gets you roped in. But talk about your pronghorn hunt. Because it looked really cool what you had obviously harvested. <laughs> you involved your kids, and I saw you posting videos post-hunt processing, and they got so excited about handling the meat. So talk about that hunt and, and about pronghorn sheep, because pronghorn antelope, that's a more accurate term, because a lot of people have never really seen that before. I'm familiar with it because I have friends that hunt out west like you and others who've told me about it. The speed goats, they're the fastest animal in North America. People don't know that, but they're beautiful, delicious, great to admire. And uh, something unique, I guess, in terms of a, of a species to kind of aspire for. So talk about that hunt and, and shooting with your, your grandpa's gun, as you said. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to tell you about the hunt. I love I love uh, sharing the stories, too. So it was a really fun hunt. Um, literally just got my, filled my tag two days ago. And um, we go way up on the high line to this area where there's just a ton of antelope. But like you mentioned, they're super fast and they're pack animals. So they are pack herd. And so they, they have so many eyes looking in a million different directions. So it's really hard to sneak up on them because they see you and they just take off and they run so fast and they're just gone. So um, it's hard to sneak up on them, but we got really lucky this year and spotted um, just uh, one. And then I got into a position, my husband dropped me off and we were hunting with our kids, like you mentioned. So we're all um, out driving, looking for, for the, for the antelope and, he, he dropped me off at, at a spot, like a low spot, so that our car couldn't be seen by the antelope. I get out, and um, and he keeps driving, and he takes off. And so then I'm pretty much solo hunting at this point. Um, I've got my gun. I hop out of the truck, and I, I get it all ready. Um, and I kind of crawl over to this area, and I had to get, like, uh, at this point, I had to go, like, 100 yards or so, and I'm in a low spot, so they can't see me at all. I've got the hill between me, and I, and I belly crawl up this hill <laughs> so I can just barely peer over the edge through, like, the tiniest bit of, like, oh, I don't know, eight-inch eight grass that I'm using to cover myself, so I'm laying completely flat, and um, I see that there's two more, and uh they were about 287 yards away, about 300 yards away, which is just a shot that I can take with that gun, but I just didn't, I don't like going that distance. So um, also I didn't like the direction that they were facing. So I made a plan to, to move to another spot, which is kind of tricky, especially because I'm just all by myself and I'm like, okay, I don't know exactly where they're going to go next. And Okay, but I, I came up with this plan to come down the hill and go to a different hill and um, put that between me so that they can't see me and I can't see them. I'm hoping when I get to the top of this hill that I'll be able to still see them. And I, I did it, and I closed the gap by about 100 yards or so. So when I glass them the next time, I belly crawl up this hill, and I'm just peering over the edge, and they were 170 yards away. And so I was just watching. Um, it was to female but I had a buck tag so then when the buck came around the edge I saw him and I was just like just had buck fever so bad <laughs> so actually um I was shaken and I wanted to get my gun steady so I waited so long and sometimes my husband and I joke that usually when he can see me at this point he couldn't see me because they were so far away and it had been a while um but he always gets annoyed because he's like just take the shot take the shot but I wait a really really long time um until I'm really really steady because I, um, I just want to take a really good shot, and so I was, I was really nervous, and uh, I finally was able to get my nerves down after watching him for about like five minutes, and he would take a couple steps and take a couple bites, and um, I just he finally provided me like a broad shot, broad side shot and I took it, and it was one shot, and he didn't make it much more than fifteen yards, and he hit the ground and never got up, which made me really happy because I always want an animal to go down really fast and. And um, it to be a quick, a quick kill. So it was a, a good ethical shot. And uh, I, was, I was so excited when he went down. And then I went to the road and ended up um, walking for a little bit, flagged down my husband. And they came over with the kids 
he, he drove over with the kids and then we all walked out there together and um and began the process of harvesting that animal which oh man it's just so fun with the kids they, they crack me up um they're really interested in it and they are not bothered at all by the blood and guts <laughs> so That's they're great. right up in there with <laughs> yeah so, so that was that was the antelope this year so that was my second second antelope that I've harvested and uh, yeah they do taste delicious so we were processing most of today and we're probably going to finish tomorrow because we're kind of exhausted <laughs> I bet how, how typically how long does it take to process the pronghorn meat is it longer than most yeah I mean, is it longer than deer no no it wouldn't normally take that long my husband also filled a tag so we have two which I think is what ah, led to it just taking a long time <laughs> it's just uh-huh. getting all of that off the bones and um yeah just dipping everything up to like this is going to be for burger and this is going to be for steaks and you know these are best, best for roast and so and um yeah it's just tiring on your hands too because the meat's really cold and so just handling all that cold meat is just i don't know makes my hands achy yeah go ahead go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, today my husband has done almost all of the work, so really I can't complain, but <laughs> I know he's getting tired, so um, yeah, that's why we're taking a break now. I'm going to finish up tomorrow, but we probably could have finished one today. How important is it to involve your kids in the process that's really early in their lives? Obviously, you said they don't have an aversion to seeing blood or the beat, so you think they're going to take an interest down the road, too? I would love it if they did. Um, you know, if they didn't, that would that would be really sad because it's something we do together. But I think they will. They both seem very interested. And I think it's important because they know where their meat comes from. Um, I mean, we don't just eat our game meat. I, I love I love game meat, but I also really love cows. Oh, man, I think cows are just the most amazing creatures to eat. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, <laughs> they, they, they know where all their meat comes from. They understand it. And they understand. Um, the the value of life. I'm pretty sure that that's something we're teaching them too. That you know, even when um, we go out there to harvest the animal, you can know sometimes Lane, our, our little boys, like poking poking the antelope with a stick or something. And I'm like, Lane, stop! You need to respect this, okay? This antelope is feeding our family, okay? Be nice to the antelope. So um, we talk about that. So. They take it, I think, pretty seriously. They understand. And we talk about, you know, this antelope went to heaven, but we are so thankful that, you know, God blessed us with this meal. And so we talk about it all. And I think it's an important lesson for them to learn early on. Yeah, so they won't be disturbed to know that meat does not come from a grocery store. It actually comes from the field or from a farm, depending upon what you're yeah. eating. <laughs> They're not going to be part of their life. They're going to be aware. They are aware. And they ask all the time, too, even with, like, chicken, if we're having chicken one night. So how did this chicken, how did we get this chicken? <laughs> I'm like, well, we did not shoot this chicken. It came from a farm. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, uh, they are very inquisitive on that. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> they love it. I want to actually ask you something as a former journalist, your kind of view on this. Why do you think when it comes to conservation stories, whether it's about hunting or other niche areas, or about kind of your backyard, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, somewhat to to say, how come people get that wrong? And why is the coverage, you would think, so negative about hunters, for the most part? Why is there this misunderstanding about hunting in the Mountain West, about conservation management practices, if you're comfortable sharing that? But, but why do you think as a former journalist, so many people just don't know how to cover the beat well? 
Yeah, I think people probably don't know how to cover the beat well if they don't understand the issue. And so maybe some people um, feel like hunting is a cruel thing. And so they come at it with that mindset. Myself, obviously, that's not my mindset. I did a lot of stories on hunting when we were in Alaska, but I even got uh, kind of shut down on some issues there that, um, you know, if our news director didn't feel like it was a newsworthy story or I had I did this long series actually on bear hunting, uh, black bear uh, hunting, and uh, we aired it. And then there was some footage of bears being shot because it was a hunting story. And I got it from a hunting guide. He provided me with some of that footage for my video. And we got a ton of complaints from people that were watching the news. Um, And so I think there's viewers who don't like it. And then there might be people in the news who don't like and the people working in the news themselves. And so I think it kind of does lead to doesn't always get maybe the coverage it should. And I don't think that's on anyone's part um, trying to like, like anyone's out to cover hunting poorly. I just think that, you know, if you have a newsroom full of people who have never hunted in their life, they're probably not going to come up with pitches about hunting and where else are they going to get the idea to do these stories? So they kind of get, missed and if they end up doing them they might come at them with a you know this is hurtful to the animals or this is bad and this is you know I just think that that uh, that kind of happens and it's not in I don't want to say so intentional it's just it's just kind of the the way it it, that's how I've seen it at least that's certainly one view about it because I remember in recent years we see kind of unlikely sources now talking about the need for replenishing hunters. I think NPR wrote a great piece about that, oddly enough, and some other outlets that have started to have to force themselves to cover this and acknowledge that, oh, wow, like guns and ammo collected from hunting licenses and all these other monies Mm -hmm. goes back to conservation and they're forced to cover it because they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't realize this connection and we have to cover it to be (laughs) fair or at least to understand. So maybe there's a little Mm -hmm. bit of optimism, but certainly they love to latch on to topics like the controversial species, the gray wolf certainly is going to be a very hot button issue going forward. I know in Montana, it's a pretty hot button issue. We don't have to go into it, but that certainly is one of the most more misunderstood type of hunts out there for management reasons. And even, I think it triggers even more alarm than bear hunt in my kind of estimation about it. Um, but, but I think mm-hmm. a lot of people in journalism, especially in the Acela corridor, I've seen this, they just have no proximity to the issue they may have a misunderstanding of, let's say, the Endangered Species Act and what happens when species get recovered. If it's something not even as like big as like an apex predator from out west or a bear, they have a horrible misunderstanding of like deer hunting and they need to manage those or sometimes even like uh, running dogs, not necessarily hunting with dogs, but um, even like sporting dog contests when you're trying to like train them and, and people are like, how dare you like hook up a husky or a dog to on a tether and train them and put them out in the cold. That's something crazy that animal rights activists have gone after, kind of relating to hunting. Uh, these are like highly specialized dogs that are used for hunting or mushing or something of that nature. But it seems like it just depends on the region where the reporters are. If they're more national, they really don't have much attention to detail or they're really biased against hunting or some sort of management form of culling effort. So I think it just depends on the region. I have seen a few journalists. There's one local gal in uh, Oklahoma who loves hunting, and she gets great engagement and traction. And she explains things like, hey, these monies go back to conservation. 
this is not done in vain. I eat all the meat that I get. And it's really nice to see that a few local journalists across the country are starting to do that. But I think national journalists are a little far removed, except for those who may have some curiosity about the issue. For sure. I definitely think it's that being removed and then coming at it with a negative mindset. And it's just because they just aren't really familiar with it. You know, I wasn't familiar with hunting either before I got to Minnesota. Um, actually, <laughs> I went out and got footage with my husband, but now even at that time we were just dating and <laughs> I got a video of him deer hunting and I was learning a lot about it, but I didn't know anything about it beforehand. So I just think people, uh, a lot of the reporters that I've run into, I mean, I'm trying to think if I even know any other reporters that hunt and I've worked in multiple markets and uh, I can't think of anybody right now. If I think of somebody later, I'll text you so you can update the podcast. But like, I really can't think of anybody. So being the only one, I mean, that's, oh, I just thought of one, but we didn't work there at the same time, but <laughs> I just thought of one other gal. Okay. But so like one person and, and I've worked in, you know, three to four different media markets, which is a lot to not have anybody, you know, only one other person that I know that hunts. So yeah. And then predator too, like you talked about with wolves, people just, uh, don't really understand predator management and they just um, think that, you know, these animals don't, shouldn't be shot and that everything will just be kumbaya in nature and it is not. And they take down um, all the other, so many other animals in the forest and that's why we need management. So you can't just let one species be untouched because that just creates huge imbalances and we keep seeing that across the country. So we do. A lot of disruption to the landscape. And I think it's also bad for the wolves that wolves or bears if they're not managed to. I mean, people forget that they compete with other packs, other individuals mm-hmm. in their species. And the really aggressive ones can rain terror <laughs> onto the other ones that are weaker. And so you, you see biologist assessment and they'll tell you that too. I know a lot of the people in Wyoming Montana, Idaho, especially when they cover these species. And I have no doubt when it comes to the gray wolf, especially in the Northwoods in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan, where I just was at, they have to monitor the wolves very closely. Uh, They watch their breeding habits. And I think that's where most of the herd in the United States is, kind of in your state and then a little bit in in the Great Lakes region. Um, That's where they've been able to be successfully recovered and and to thrive and grow. And so they, they study them, and you see people who study them closely say like yeah there has to be some management and if there isn't it's kind of chaotic <laughs> for sure yeah i mean animals uh they are definitely it's, it nature can be really ugly and yeah like you mentioned they have their territories and bears they have a really wide territory i think i want to say it's like five miles um that they cover and uh grizzly bears and they they kill other you know cubs they kill um that's why sows are so um defensive because they're trying to protect their their cubs and when a boar grizzly bear has a territory he's going to kill anybody in that area and that doesn't matter if he made it with that sow early in the year and those are his offspring he will kill them why <laughs> like it is ugly out there if there's not management they um it's nature <laughs> and it's not pretty. right right and you kind of handle these issues in your current job and we won't go to specifics. I know you want to kind of keep certain things uh, to yourself about what you do in your day-to-day job, but you work somewhat in government, you do digital. So how do you segue from journalism into your current job? And you you do handle a little bit of this conservation portfolio as well. So how does that factor in and and, and what do you like about your new job now or your current job? Yeah, I 
Yeah. Yeah. My current job. I mean, I am so blessed to have this job. It's, you know, uh, really similar to when I was in news and I was telling stories, but now I'm just on the government side. And so I'm working on telling stories specific to legislation. Like how does this bill affect Bob and Joe that live in this town? And I interview them and, and get to share their story about how this bill will affect them or already does affect them. Or when it comes to like these game management issues, how it affects them and how um, <clears throat> how like a specific example would be with the grizzly bears and and re uh, trying to get them off the endangered species list so that we can have management of these bears that are just wreaking havoc on 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 ranchers' land and um, on their livestock and and even just for backpackers and anybody going out in the outdoors very dangerous in Montana because we have so many grizzly bears. Um, and so that's what I get to do. I tell these stories in videos and we put those out and they're about like a minute, minute and a half long. And it's kind of like when I was reporting. And so I don't do anything scripted. I go out and just grab an uh, interview with someone and then I turn around and share their story. And, and I love doing it. And I think a lot of the stories that I'm sharing are ones that might not be getting the same coverage in the news. And that's what I really, really like, is that these are still stories that matter to folks. And, um, and now they're being told. And it's for the greater good kind of, of the realm that you're in, especially like constituent services or people kind of knowing what's happening in Montana Certainly, you you do deal a lot in in Montana with your line of work. And what is so special about Montana, you would say to those outside of Montana? I got to see it first time. I'm familiar with the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, having been to Wyoming and Idaho before, but I've never gone to Montana up until this summer. And I loved it. And I was like, I need to come back. This is so great. But what is your pitch to Montana? What is your Montana pitch, I would say, to those outside of Montana and why it's so special? Oh, Montana is really amazing. I love that they're so, that's just so vast, you know, it is a huge state and there is road access to so many different places. You can just get all over this state. I mean, it'll take you <laughs> like nine hours to drive from one corner to the other, but if not longer, but you can get there. And so there's tons of fishing opportunity, hunting opportunity. Um, there's just beautiful stories of generational ranches, people that have been working the land, um, and I, I love that. I love ag. I love ag stories. That's definitely like a top thing for me to cover um, in the videos that I work. These are just people who really care about family, care about each other, care about their work. Uh, I think that a lot of times folks uh, in ag might get a bad rap that they are just in their bottom line. Um, but really, these folks, they don't just see these cows as, you know, dollar symbols walking across the pasture. They tenderly care for these calves each one of them that are born in the middle of the night going out there and getting them and helping, um, you know, the cows give birth and just all of it. It's just amazing to just to see the kind of people, the hard work in this state. And it's so big. And uh, I just, I love, I love Montana. It's really great. It is a beautiful state. They call it the treasure state for a reason. It is immaculate. You know, it's not, it has its problems, you know, because of, different conditions that are not really in the state's control. You guys suffer from wildfires. You guys, I think, have a good handle of that better than some other states. Uh, And you certainly have to deal with the elements during winter, and you have kind of these animal rights activists moving into Montana and other interests trying to change Montana from what it is and what's made it stand out. But I think people still love 
the charm about Montana from the the Western expansion days, Wild West, kind of that rugged individualism that you find there. And hopefully you guys are working to keep it that way as well. <laughs> oh, for sure. I definitely hope that we can keep it that way. And I say that as somebody <clears throat> who's moved here, you know, I didn't grow up here, um, but I love everything that Montana stays stand for and I want it to stay that way. I don't want to change it. I'm not here to change it. I'm here for it. Certainly. So that's something that, that my family appreciates for sure. What are some tips that you have for new hunters, especially women who are possibly picking up the sport? Someone is listening. They love hearing about your pronghorn antelope hunt and maybe they'll see some of your other hunts if they connect with you. What are your tips to people everyone included, especially women who want to pick up hunting. Is it difficult? What what steps do you recommend as being, a, being someone who was new to the sport yourself? Yeah, I think that gaining confidence is definitely um, is something that takes time and getting connected with someone who's really going to teach you. And, you know, for me, that was my husband. And he has taught me so, so, so much. Um, but I did do a women's hunting seminar a couple of years ago. And it was it was really cool to put on by this great gal here in Bozeman who really advocates for women hunters. And it was a really smart thing for her to do to put on this women's seminar because it was women asking questions about hunting in front of other women. So you just don't maybe feel as silly as if you are in front of a bunch of guys who know it all or something. Um, you know, so it was just, it was a really good environment to ask questions and connect with other women who you could chat with later. Um, and I thought that was really great. And I think that was, that really pushed me out of my comfort zone to, um, to start connecting with other, other gals and, uh, and really, it just really pushed me to, to, to another level. Uh, talking with other women, I think, was was really helpful. It also made me realize I do know a lot, <laughs> and I just think so many times that um, when you're with your, what your husband or somebody who's more experienced, you don't realize how much you know because you're kind of relying on them a lot. And then when I was in an environment where I didn't have, you know, my husband next to me, uh, I really had to rely on myself and realize actually I do know a good amount. Um, and then for me, um, solo hunting has been the thing that taught me the most. I feel like uh, when we were when we were in Alaska and just any other hunting we did, we was always together. And since we have been in Montana, we don't have anybody to watch our kids. So usually we um, have to go out one at a time. And so my husband stays with the kids or I stay with the kids while he goes out, whether that's first thing in the morning or later in the day or, or, or whatnot. But um, being by myself, I had to make a lot of decisions on my own. And that has taught me a lot. And there was mistakes made, a lot of mistakes made, <laughs> you know, I've blown my cover, I've been winded and all of that, you know, it just made me a better hunter and made me a lot more confident. And now I can go out all by myself and, you know, harvest an animal and I feel comfortable that I'm going to make a good shot and I'm going to make good decisions. And, you know, even if I would have made some bad choices on this antelope hunt and maybe got my cover blown and they would have spotted me, I would have learned something. But, um, Thankfully, I didn't, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, being out there by yourself really teaches you a lot. So I'd say connecting with people who um, who are probably maybe at the same level as you or even just a little bit advanced than you, but away from somebody that's your main comfort source, that's really important. And then getting out there on your own and, and starting to learn and, and just be really, really safe and really um, take your time. It took me a long time before I started going out solo hunting. My husband and I um, have been hunting together since we met, and we met in 2012, yeah. And so I'd say I've been hunting since about 2012, and I only started 
being confident enough to go out on my own since we moved to Montana. So just the past couple of years. And now I've harvested a lot of different animals, but I would say that it's my confidence level that's gone up a lot. I'd say those are great tips because, yeah, there's a lot of programs now appealing to women hunters who have all who have all experience levels. And I haven't taken up becoming the outdoors women course. I've actually largely been mentored by guys, and that's a good thing because I can hang along with the boys too. But I have gone hunting with women on several occasions, so it's more so like I can branch out and do trips with women, and that's easy, and I'm mm-hmm. usually the least experienced one. But when it comes to, like, the proper mentorship and coaching, it's just it's been easier to go with men in Virginia because all my female friends that live in Virginia, they're far, far south from me or they're like two, three hours away. So I'll go with people that are like within an hour and a half or so. But it's just been easier to go with men because they offer the trips and they're like mentors to me professionally and other capacities too. So they they are just like it's available, come come hunting with us and I'm like, Okay, cool, I'll go do that or if I've gone out of state to do that. So for me in my about I would say going into four end of four years, going into fifth year of hunting, I've I've found that to be the case for me, and I'm not ready to do solo hunts yet. I'm still like, oh, I need to like get a little bit more under my belt. But I'm hoping within the next coming years, I'll be able to have the confidence myself to do do-it-yourself hunts as well. But it's it's a little trickier, kind of in a more populated state. Maybe Montana, you can roam a little more freely. There's a lot more public land, and for me, I'm just like a little nervous to do that but I'll get the confidence at some point but I'm glad that you've had a good experience being able to do it on your own too Mm -hmm. yeah it's been fun it's it's definitely getting my confidence up I think you can have all of the knowledge which is I guess maybe that's how I could word it too it's like I had a lot of knowledge beforehand but I, I didn't have that confidence factor and now that I have that it's like oh actually I do know a lot about we have been hunting for a really long time and I actually do know a good amount um Still, I, there's a ton that I could learn, and I know that I'm nowhere near the experience level of my husband, who's been hunting his entire life, and I think he's an amazing hunter. I know he is. He's, he's really great, and so um, I'm not there yet, but I definitely i have gained a lot of confidence having some success in the past few years, so that's been awesome. Very encouraging and, and very inspiring. So, Mallory, if people want to connect with you, where do you recommend that they follow you or connect with you to learn more about your work or see some of your hunts? Uh, let's see. I, I'm not really, people. <laughs> I have, I have Instagram and that's where I post most of my stuff. My Instagram is private. Um, so that you'd have to ask to follow me there. And then I don't use Facebook anymore. So I guess the only place would be Instagram and that's really it. Um, I'm always down to, meet new hunters so I guess if there was a gal you know in the Bozeman area that wanted to connect um they could message me because uh yeah that, that would that'd probably be the best thing gosh sorry I feel really stumbly I uh I just I don't have a big social media presence I'm actually somewhat um uh low-key on that end I guess after I got out of news where everything was public then now I've made everything private and so yeah I have a very limited number of you know people who I follow so but um, but yeah, I'm always down to connect with other gals or, or chat. So if they just message me, Mallory Walser, uh, on Instagram, then that would be how you find me. Beautiful. We'll include your Instagram account. And no, I understand people kind of want that little privacy nowadays, and it's 
totally commendable and respectable to do that. So no, you won't get any weirdos from me <laughs> your way. <laughs> but we'll be sure to have people. I have no doubt there are lots of women in the Mountain West, and I, I I can think of someone. I think she just moved to Montana. She seems like a nice gal. I'll connect you with her. And she does a lot of hunting. She's from Missouri, I think, originally. But I was like, oh, my gosh, there are people in there. And, like, you probably need more friends. They probably need more friends. So I'm happy to make introductions for you uh, to other people as well. But, Mallory, it's been so much fun having you come on the podcast. I know you're used to interviewing now. You're kind of in the opposite position to do that. And it's always good to catch up. And I hope I get to see you again very, very soon. And it was good that you kind of brought Madison under your wing, too, when she was in Bozeman area. Yes, it was really great meeting her and getting to meet you face to face, even though we had already chatted. So I would love for you to come out here again. And it would be really fun if we got to do a hunt together. So I've always oh, have to. down to do a girl's hunt. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Maybe in a few years time when I get more confidence to public land hunt out west. But maybe the next time I come to Montana in Livingston or someplace like that, it won't be raining. Like the first time we all hung out in bed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there can be some miserable weather, <laughs> which sometimes is really good for hunting. All right, Mallory, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Take care and good luck with the rest of your hunting season. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm, but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. 